This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. And we want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. We're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Man. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 36 brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work for InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always... Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and NETScouting.com is where you can find his draft work. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Ah, every day is a good day to be alive, Michael. Thank you for asking, man. I got flamed on episode 314 of BGN Radio, though. I don't know. Did you listen? Yeah, I was listening with extreme enjoyment because they dragged your love for Danelle Pumphrey through the mud for conservatively Which 20 I consecutive minutes. Which I have been that bad this offseason. <laughs> I've mentioned him like twice. Here's the problem is that I, I don't feel the need to mention him that much because I don't foresee him 
making the roster. Like, I think that he has a better chance than a lot of people do, but I don't really see it happening. It's a, it's a, it's an outside chance because it's simply a very crowded running back room and he didn't play very well in, in his very limited time in his first season. But I'm known now as like the Donnell Pumphrey stand. So people ask me about him and they ask for the case for him and I make the case <laughs> because I've been asked. And that's it. And, and and this is not me grandstanding for him. This is just simply I'm the only one who, in my opinion, is providing a level-headed take on the situation. Yeah, well, I mean, we all agree that you're wrong on that. So there's that whole <laughs> yeah, situation. Are you all met without me? Uh, again, when you're on a hill by yourself, it can be lonely on that hill, man. And there's a lot of people coming to attack you. You got to be like Spartacus, drop a vine down and get off that take. That's how that's how I see things. Uh, this. Let me tell you how I see things. I see... One of the oldest running backs currently still active in the NFL, Darren Sproles, at 35 years old. I see uh, a player who his entire game is predicated off wiggle and off explosiveness and off lateral agility. A lot of things that stress the ACL, and he's coming back from that ACL injury. I see a team that drafted a player who could fit his deployment, who could fit what he's used in the offense. Last season, when his contract was expiring, they drafted that player which indicates to me that they have, you know, rumblings around moving off from him and replacing his production. I see a team that did not sign Darren Sproles until they got through the entire draft and didn't bring in another running back and then brought him in on a, on a very cheap $1 million one-year deal. And what, what they really hit me for was not so much the Pumphrey love, but the fact that I, Mike, I do not think that Darren Sproles is a lock to be on the roster. I think he's got a very, very good chance. I think he's the third most likely running back to be on this roster. And they're going to keep at least three, if not four. The two locks are Ajayi and Clement in my eyes. I do not think Sproles is a lock. He's a very, very, very strong chance. But we're assuming that a 35-year-old running back comes back healthy from a crippling injury and is able to outperform the younger player who was drafted, at least from an outside look, to potentially replace some of his production. And then you throw in, okay, we've got Wendell Smallwood. And then you obviously hasn't performed very well over a couple years. I'm not saying Smallwood means a lot. And then you throw in Josh Adams, Notre Dame, undrafted free agent, who we're not super high on, but they went out, they gave him a good deal of money. He was one of the highest backs left on the board. And he'll certainly have an opportunity to to carve out a niche as a power back. And then you throw in Matt Jones, like new new free agent addition, two-year deal, a player for Washington, fumbling issues, but he's got some natural talent. He's never just been able to stick and get some consistent carries. So if you're carrying comfortably, let's say, four backs, maximum five, there's just a lot of people vying for those spots. And so I'm not comfortable saying Darren Sproles is a lock. I don't think if they had a, if they had three running backs locked, they would have brought in Josh Adams and Matt Jones. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I think he's clearly the, the forerunner in the camp. He's clearly the lead horse, and obviously he's a respected eagle, and he's known in the locker room. But to me, Sproles isn't a lock, and I don't, I don't like that. And I think he's going to be on this roster, but I don't think we can call him a lock. That's it. So I, I gave you the floor to make your counterpoint there to respond <laughs> to episode three fourteen. Uh, we'll see how the audience buys that. I, I will say that it's a very uh, treacherous climb down Mount Vesuvius. Spartacus would know this. Uh, so please be careful with those vines. Make sure they're nice and uh, roped together nice and tight. You got your tensile strength and all that worked out beforehand. So, Ben. <laughs> Listen, it all rookie minicamp starts today, actually. When this podcast yes. will drop, it'll be today. And that we'll start to get riddle out some answers to all of these questions. And I will be avenged. What? Not avenged. I will be <laughs> hell. I will be 
I will we'll look back and we'll realize that I made some good points when we're in camp. And I think that, that the running back race is a lot tighter than people are currently making it out to be. Yeah, I, th- I think Wendell Smallwood is getting dismissed because I justified. Think I will be justified. Sorry, I remember the word. Okay, you go. There you go. Yeah, I think uh, Wendell Smallwood is being uh, undersold in all this, but he just can't stay healthy. I mean, I know Deuce really likes him, and when he plays, he's solid. He just he just can't stay healthy for anything. So, uh, yeah. So moving on from that that whole topic, we'll have plenty of time to get into camp battles and and all that stuff. Uh, seeing as it's a bit of a, a dead season for news and we've we've had the BGN main show cover a lot of stuff with the running backs that we brought in. We've got Ben's rebuttal on record. We'll see how that goes. We are going to talk about today and we're going to be doing this with several teams, particularly the NFC, about some contenders and how their outlook looks for the 2018 season starting today with the Dallas Cowboys. So we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys offense, defense, uh, where they failed, where they succeeded last year, how that carries over to this year, the moves that they made to improve their team. And Ben, of course, you know, we have to start with the most important position in the NFL, the quarterback. And this could really honestly be like the whole show, uh, but I'll try to condense my thoughts here. So mm-hmm. Dak Prescott, just to put it out there right away, regressed in 2017 there can be no question about that the two things that propped him up or helped him out in 2016 however you want to phrase that were a dominant offensive line in both pass protection and run blocking and a breakout rookie performance from Ezekiel Elliott both of those factors were not nearly as helpful or as good at propping up Dak in 2017 however you want to slice it so why Dak struggled remains a question that we may only see more clearly after this upcoming 2018 campaign. But it is worth talking about why some of these issues have occurred to see if we can pin something down. So one example that, that I saw when I was doing research for this, only 8.8% of Dak's throws were over 20 yards in the air. That ranks 32nd out of 34 qualifying quarterbacks. Why is that? Because he performs well enough on deep balls. He's accurate enough when he takes a shot. Is it a case of Dak being too conservative or is it a scheme causing that? Is it due to the wide receivers? And is that fixed by shipping Dez out and bringing in Alan Hearns and the rookie from Colorado State, Michael Gallup? Because I'll tell you this with Hearns, 2017, he was targeted 54 times. 10 of those were deep. He only caught three of them for 90 yards while having his lowest per reception average in his four-year career so mm-hmm. now obviously he had like Bortles throwing to him Ben so there's that and I would argue Dak is more accurate down the field than Bortles but still how much is Hearns really going to change that aspect of the vertical passing game for the Cowboys Deontay Thompson was signed and his first season or since since 2012 he hasn't had a 50-yard catch in his career so not encouraging and looking at the rest of Dak's game his passer rating took a hit in a bunch of categories. When he was clean, when he was pressured, when he was blitzed, not blitzed, red zone, and he really struggled on third and fourth down where he had a 77.5 QB rating in those situations. I felt like there were times where on film he passed up opportunities, held on to the ball too long. Uh, ben, it was like he was gun shy. And then a panic switch would flip and he would force a bad decision late. And that's reflected in the stats too because when he held the ball for over three seconds, this is per pro football focus, his adjusted completion percentage dips under 60%. He threw three touchdowns, five interceptions in that scenario. His passer rating dips under 60 and his turnover-worthy throws absolutely skyrocket. So Ben, the key to the Cowboys season is getting Dak Prescott back on track 
and there are those in the Dallas media already mentally preparing to move on from him and propping up Mike White and, and Cooper Rush, which is and Cooper ridiculous. Rush, man. Cooper Rush is the next Dak Prescott. Yeah, Cooper is Cooper Rush, the next Dak Prescott. And look, right now it's being whispered in dark corners, but if he struggles early on, they're going to be on a mountaintop blasting into 50 megaphones linked to each other. So I'll kind of leave this open for you to take it where you want to take it, but by maybe explaining a theory on what happened last year or what you believe needs to happen for Dak this year to get him going. No, I really like the the what you referenced, like if he starts off shaky, because what we forget is that the first half of Prescott's second season was good. Yeah. It really was. It was mm-hmm. just fine. And then, and, and, and you know, Eagles fans, we got to suspend a hierarchy here for a second. And let's like safely say, Mike, do you think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback player, just player overall than Dak Prescott? I would say so, yes. Yeah, and so I would say so too. So now we're going to talk about Dak in an objective form while still understanding nobody's putting him up against Wentz right now. Right. Because Wentz is, 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 a, is a superior athlete and a superior passer, in my opinion. So we talk about Carson's first season and all the struggles that went around with him and supporting cast and so on and so forth. When things got went south for Dak, uh, having not yet been in a situation in the NFL where he was asked to really carry a significant amount of the load, which is fine. That's not... Uh, like people use that to signify that Dak is a bad quarterback. If, if you want to build a team to win championships, then your quarterback can't be carrying too much of the load. Let's not forget that Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl. He is the most talented quarterback we have seen. One Super Bowl. Why? Because Green Bay hasn't done well building a, a team around him. You need a team yeah. to go win a Super Bowl. And that ha- and Dak had that team for the first 20, 22 games of his career. And then, oh, and they went, did they go into the playoffs? Yeah, they went into the playoffs. So 24, yep. 26. And then he lost that. And in his first gameplay without that, he really, really struggled. And if we're going to talk about Carson Wentz's first year in terms of a supporting cast and in drops and an offensive line play, then we have to acknowledge that when Ezekiel Elliott left and Prescott had never had to deal with that. And when Teron Smith was out for a few games, and Prescott never had to deal with that. Can you, you know, we obviously I hate the Cowboys. I really, really hate the Cowboys. I hate <laughs> Dallas so much. But when a guy gets sacked eight times in a game against Atlanta, I think we can safely assume that like referencing stats that include that game is a touch skewed because like yeah. that that all couldn't have been his fault. And so when we go to the film, yeah, what you saw with Prescott that to me was the biggest drop off was that when he was comfortable in the pocket and when he was comfortable with the supporting cast around him, he was willing to shoot it. Hmm. And when he started to lose that, he got very gun shy and very check down heavy very quickly he's still a good escapist and he can still uh you know work with players down the field and improvise quite well and he still reads defense as well and gets the ball where it belongs he's still an accurate quarterback but he kind of alex smith turtles it up uh when things get really really sour and so when we talk about prescott in year three we got to talk about one what did the front office do to get players around him that will help him perform better because that's exactly what the eagles front office did in year one to year two and then what can the coaching staff do to develop this scheme and to develop deployment and to consistently change so that this offense in general doesn't tip its hand as easily as it sometimes did in year two, which right. is exactly what the Philadelphia coaching staff did from year one to year two. And that's where my pause comes with the Cowboys. It's not with Prescott, who I think is a quarterback that it's very clear you can win with. Maybe he isn't a, a game-breaking win because of take it over week in and week out talent. Maybe he's not mm-hmm. that elite guy. I don't think he is. 
but he's certainly a quarterback you can win with because he's a talented player. But I look at the offensive coaching staff, and I look at Scott Linehan, who does not impress me as an offensive coach. I look at the fact that they just brought in Kellen Moore as their quarterback's coach, who literally was on the roster for them last year as a quarterback, Mike. Like, this, you know, I, I don't see uh, an offensive structure in place that's going to be able to really develop this scheme and, and, and to – alter the way they, they deploy their players in Prescott's advantage. And then I look at the the change in pass catchers and you lose three of Prescott's targets in Des Bryant, Jason Witten, Ryan Switzer, and even four if you want to include Bryce Butler. Yeah. And you replace Jason Witten with Dalton Schultz, which is not, you know, Witten was very, very bad in 2017. We're not, we can't shake that. But Schultz is not an, a game-breaking talent. He's a fun talent, but he's not overwhelming. And then on the wide receiver side, like you said, you know, you're bringing in a Michael Gallup, a third round pick, who I think can demand a lot of targets for you, but I don't think he's, he's a, he's a game breaking talent. You're bringing in Alan Hearns, who's a Z slot guy, who I think is a good complimentary piece, but he's not a game breaking talent. You're bringing Cedric Wilson out of Boise State, who's not a game breaking talent. I don't think this, this pass catching repertoire, this pass catching arsenal, I should say, got any better for Prescott. I don't think the coaching staff and the offensive minds there are going to do much to make to improve the situation for him either. His offensive line seemed to improve a little bit, and that'll help him. You know, Elliot Zeke being there for for all those snaps for 16 games that'll help him as well. But I don't see Prescott, the passer, improving much beyond what we really saw. You know, in the middle. I should say, of, of of season two for Prescott, never getting back to what he was in his first season because his his arsenal isn't the same, and, and it isn't new. It isn't, you know, a, a deployment that we hadn't seen yet before. So this coaching staff needs to step up if he's going to, you know, kind of return to that year one form, and I don't have trust in this coaching staff. So that's where I'm at with, with Prescott and really the offense for the Cowboys. I would 100% agree about the coaching staff. They proved to be inflexible unwilling to adapt to the new realities in which they were living, especially when Tyron Smith was out and mm -hmm. not providing any help to Byron Bell and Chaz Green. I, I get it for the first half. It's hard to make that adjustment. Uh, you don't have to chip every play. The Eagles proved this with Halapuli Vaiti Vaitai. You can help by having a running back released to that side and shorten the arc in which a defensive end has to take to the quarterback. You can help by putting a tight end detached slightly outside to do the same thing, to not give that defensive end a two-way go. You don't have to chip every play. You can do other mm -hmm. things. They did none of that, and that's just a microcosm for the, the entire game plan, for the entire scheme, the entire coaching that this team has undergone on offense. And I, I would agree, unless the Dallas Cowboy coaching staff can get together and suddenly put on a new suit and be a new man, uh, I really doubt that they're going to be able to turn that around, and it's going to hurt Dak's development, and it might be something that he may never recover from. However, if Dak does recover from, from this season, which I'm sure there's a lot of doubt in his mind, and it's going to take the competitive toughness, the mental toughness that, for instance, a guy like Carson Wentz has, not to compare the two, but I mean, obviously, Carson Wentz is a competitive dude and has a short memory. guy like Nick Foles who's been through a lot in his career and has overcome that guy like Case Keenum, same situation. So that you don't have to be an all-star quarterback to be a mentally tough quarterback. Dak Prescott is going to have to get over this last season to be able to continue being a quarterback that you can win with. So that's just the reality of that situation. As far as the offensive line goes, Tyron Smith was dealing with several injuries before he finally uh, uh, tapped out from last season uh, with the back Even injury. Then when he came back, man. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and he apparently he'd been dealing with this stuff with the back and everything for a year and a half. And like we talked about with Jernigan, we're going through the same thing with Jernigan. The back injuries for big dudes is a big deal. Uh, so you don't know if he's going to be entirely healthy when he's healthy. I mean, there are three offensive tackles that come to mind as far as being the best in the game, and you can make a case for any of them. It's Jason Peters, it's Trent Williams from Washington, and it's Tyron Smith in my mind. So having him back healthy will be huge for them. Uh, also shoring up that right guard spot. We talked about it. We talked about them being a team that was possibly going to regress on the offensive side of the ball because they lost snaps at that right guard position when they moved on from Ronald Leary. They lost 1,800 snaps. Doug Free retired from that offensive line, and they struggled right. more. They weren't that dominant Yo, we predicted force. this, man. I just realized that. Yes, we, abso- we absolutely did because we are Listen to Lockdown people. Eagles, summer of 2017. <laughs> That's right. Go back and listen to those episodes. I guarantee you it is on there. We talked about it in depth. And now that they bring on Connor Williams, that's a move that I think helps them the most right now at, at any of those moves. And I, we'll get to the defensive side of the ball with their first round pick. But I do believe that that unit will be better. Uh, I was watching All or Nothing the other day. And if Zeke is out of his mental funk from what was going on last season, I know there was a lot of distractions around him. And they can get that run game going a little bit better. And he doesn't show up out of shape because I truly believe that he was out of shape when he came in last season. And he gets some of his burst back. Uh, he can be a more effective weapon if he's got all that, you know, cleared out of his head and he's fully focused on football. I worry that he's not. I don't really worry about it because I'm an Eagles fan. But, you know, right. I think that they can take positive steps in the run game and that will help put lipstick on a pig when it comes to them creating offensive passing concepts and designs and game plans that will help Dak out because teams will be so afraid of the run again. Teams weren't afraid of the run last year and it showed and it hurt them. And Dak became a check down king, like you said, just like Alex Smith. So, uh, Ben, I really do yeah. think they can get that run game going again. Right. And and just to, uh, to put a bow on the offense, when it comes to discussing things with Cowboys fans, which is never anything you should be doing regardless, just don't speak to them. <laughs> but if you are, you know, you're at a family function, you're forced to, whatever. Yeah. You're talking draft with Dane Brugler. Those are the only acceptable things. <laughs> oh, that's right. For, some of them, Dane is cool. We like Dane. But <laughs> when the Cowboys tried to run the offense through Ezekiel Elliott, when they tried to power the offense by the running game, understand, in my opinion, that's what they should do. And that's not an indictment of Dak Prescott as a quarterback. Right. That team is built to predicate their offense on the rushing attack. And that that's not to say... You know, they're going to be a run first team because that's a tricky thing to say. And obviously, as we know, running is becoming less and less valuable on a per play basis in the NFL. Yeah. But they want the wheels of that offense to be their ability to grind out the football, to pick up consistent yardage. That's what they that's what their offensive philosophy is going to be. And it should be because they have an elite running back and an elite offensive line. Yes. And, 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 and their quarterback is not elite. And so that's how that offense should be run. And that doesn't mean that Dak sucks and they're trying to keep the ball out of Dak's hands. It means that Dak is most effective when that's how the offense is running because that's how the offense is most effective, period. So that's yep. what we expect to see from the Cowboys, which can make them a tough team to handle if the defense can keep stride. And I think that's where we, we find problems, Mike, because hmm. I don't think the defense is going to be able to keep, you know, uh, consistently keep teams below 20, 24 points. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. One point to to add to that: the Cowboys don't run a whole lot of play action, and they really haven't with Dak. And I don't get it, even Which when the run so game is clicking. Yeah, exactly. He's a very good quarterback off of off of play action, just statistically wise. Uh, I don't understand why you have a a very run oriented offense and you don't run more play action with a mobile quarterback that can throw on the run. It doesn't make any sense. Hashtag That's why I doubt this coaching. Why staff. we don't trust Scott Linehan? Hashtag. Fire Scott Lenhan, hashtag fire Jason Garrett. 
Hashtag actually don't leave them there for the next 10 years. <laughs> May they live and coach in Dallas. May they prosper with 8 and 8 forever. <laughs> for 10,000 years. All right. Flipping it to the defensive side of the ball, we got to talk about the best player uh, on this defense. Demarcus Lawrence right now, at least the one that can stay healthy. Demarcus Lawrence, man. Per pro football focus, 14.8 pass rush productivity metric. That's best in the league. He's got 79 total pressures last year, 14 and a half sacks. That's the pass rush productivity that he has, that 14.8. That's better than Vaughn. That's better than Mack. That's better than Calais Campbell, et cetera, et cetera. The dude balled. And it wasn't just like junk cleanup effort sacks. He played with excellent technique. He's got that first step burst. That's the bright spot on this defense along with Sean Lee. And as always, when you say Sean Lee, you have to say when healthy because he has never been Oh, wait, Ben, speaking of Sean Lee, Sean yes. Lee, yes, we're going to do this. This, ladies ladies and gentle listeners. This was supposed to be like level-headed talking about the team and the roster, but we got to do this. This is Sean Lee explaining to his coach why what he was being asked to do was, in fact, impossible. Roll it. Ben, cheese and rice, how is that a thing that we witnessed? How is that possible? Okay, so... This is a real conversation. (laughs) Okay, so Joe Baker, defensive backs coach, had them deployed in some sort of... From, from the language, I can't tell exactly what it is, but it seems to be some sort of matching concept, you know, first inside, first outside, the kind of a right. banjo idea that you play in the red zone, which is very common. And Sean Lee had a certain number of responsibilities, and, and you know, the Giants had either, you know, two tight ends to one side or the back on a the side they didn't expect or whatever, and it made it so that it was impossible for Sean Lee to fulfill his responsibilities, to correctly <laughs> make the read. You have to make, like, two choices at two different parts of the field at the same time. It's like playing the Eagles. <laughs> He had to go to the sideline and explain this to his defensive backs coach after they gave up the score, by the way, which is what's yeah. also funny is that like they ran this play with ineffectual coverage. And he had to explain this to the defensive backs coach who like did not understand it at first and was resistant to Sean Lee's protestations. And then eventually Sean Lee brought him about. Now, Joe Baker has since been fired. He is no longer with the team. Yeah. Chris Bouchard is now their defensive backs coach from Seattle. And, and I'm sure this is not as uncommon as we think it is you know i'm sure like you know these mistakes happen and, and they get discussed on the sideline you know we see blown coverages we know what it's about ben, but the after, fact is after be- after sean lee explains it to him the look on his face just the pure just blank maybe farting quietly just, a, just eking one out because he's clenching like just it's incredible. It's incredible. Like he, like it was the first time he had ever heard that this coverage is not going to work against this type of uh, route combination. It, it blew my mind. <laughs> right. Which obviously, right. Obviously, don't know the the route concept beforehand, but it was something about the formation. And and what what's important here to understand is that <laughs> because of behind the lines or behind the curtain or whatever the heck it's called, this thing they're doing with the Cowboys, all or nothing. And <laughs> all or nothing. There you go. You don't watch TV. I get it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I don't. 
we now have verified audio of Sean Lee being so good at his job that really, Mike, if he's a, if he's changing coverages and making calls, then he should be as valuable on the sideline than as he is on the field if he's the one who knows that these defenses are not working. And so really, if this is what Sean Lee brings to the team, if this is what makes him so valuable, then he can do it regardless of whether or not his knee is working. And thereby, I'm just saying, maybe him not being in certain games as a player does not have as monumental an effect on the Dallas Cowboys defense as we've been led to believe. I absolutely love where you went with that. So you lose him on the field, you downgrade on the field, but you upgrade on the sideline. That's beautiful, Ben. And he can see a lot more going on from there. He can geek and talk with the defensive coordinator and all that stuff. They should have him more involved on the sideline. If if they aren't, another poor Poor choice by the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Poor deployment of your resources, man. I mean, listen, if Kellen Moore can be a player one year and a coach the next, why can't we just do it with Sean Lee? Make him the I, defensive coordinator. Here we go. I, I don't think I would really call Kellen Moore a player. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a stretch. <laughs> that's a good point. So, okay, Ben, getting back to the serious talk here on the Kiss and Solak show, th- this is a team that could not get off the field on third down. 43% opponent conversion rate towards the bottom, truly abysmal. But that's what happens when you only have one guy on that defense getting pressure with Demarcus Lawrence. You have an incredibly young secondary like they had last year, De- depth issues at the linebacker position. Remember that this is a team that we also said would regress in this part due to having to replace 2,800 snaps in the secondary. And while guys like Cheeto played well, and Xavier Woods showed some juice. When and, he was and, on the field, Cheeto played well. He couldn't stay on the field. Yeah, that too. Jordan Lewis played played well when he was in there. But uh, when you have guys like Tyrone Crawford, Malik Collins, getting no kind of push, and the quarterback has time, they're going to get picked apart. And those communication issues from that young secondary, and they had uh, several communication issues and breakdowns and whatnot. I remember a few just from the Atlanta Falcons game, just off the top of my brain ball. Uh, you're you're going to get a big fat spotlight put on those communication issues when you have a zero pass rush. I do, however, expect the secondary to be tighter this year. And I, I would not be surprised to see Taco Charlton take a step in the right direction. I thought he made a small step last year towards the end of the year to it be at least a decent compliment to Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, and then you throw in Leighton Vander Esch for depth with linebackers, and he had some coverage ability. He, I think he's still pretty green, though. Ben, I think we could see overall, I think we could see this unit that was pretty much average last year across the board and really weren't all that bad middle of the road defense for a good part of the season. I think we could see them take a slight step forward. What say you? Yeah. So, right. When we go and we check out DVOA for the Dallas Cowboys defense, we find the 25th ranked team in the NFL in 2017, which is not great. But what, what, uh, football outsiders does, which is very valuable, is they'll weight DVOA on a, on a gradient scale. Uh, so that the more recent a game is, the more it matters because how you play as a unit changes over time. And on way to DVOA, the Cowboys ended the season 15th, which is to simply say that their defense was getting better. Uh, and when you infuse so much young talent into a defense, that kind of makes sense. And then obviously they were, you know, bringing back some players and getting, you know, play later than, of course, you know, a zero point game from the, the Eagles in week 17 doesn't hurt yeah. as well. But of course, you know, when you're resting your starters because you're locked in as the number one seed, sometimes, and you eventually know, win the Super Bowl, you, you throw a bone to the week 17 <laughs> opponent regardless. But I do agree with you just in the sense of, 
we you know we talked about how when you look for players to grow, you've also got to st- look at the coaching staff in the front office and see what they did. And I really like you know bringing in a guy like Chris Richard uh, to be. You know, they've got him as their passing game coordinator on yep. the defense. So I guess they're passing game defense coordinator and their defensive backs coach. I really like Chris Richard. I like the way that he he coaches. I like how he deploys his athletes. I think that he's a, a good mind in terms of getting outside of the the regular structure of how things are done and he's willing to move pieces around which I really appreciate. And then certainly I think that that secondary is the one where you expect a big step forward. Byron Jones, uh, a long-term move to cornerback might not be perfect early, but I think that's the right call for what he's so he's shown yeah. so far in the NFL, and I think that that's going to get better over time. Obviously, uh, Jadobi Awuze and Jordan Lewis were two selections that I liked. Both of them last year, they're both good values, and I think they're going to develop into good players. They've got to figure out what to do with safety because yeah. Xavier Woods is a good player, uh, and I like him. But he's still he's a guy who I don't know how consistent he is yet. I don't know how reliable he is yet, especially because he didn't receive a huge amount of starting attention last year. And then Jeff Heath, uh, you know, Kevon Frazier, these aren't guys that you want taking significant reps. You know, Jeff Heath is 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 kind of what he is at this point. You can really improve upon him, and they're very weak at safety. So that's where I yeah. expect them to improve. So I think that that. Secondary is going to take a big step forward because the young players simply are going to provide a big boost. The fact that they think that they can get enough net on the opposite side of Demarcus Lawrence from adding Coney Ely, uh, expecting a step forward from Taco Charlton and drafting Dorrance Armstrong, to me, that's not convincing. I don't think Charlton, I don't think he was good coming out of Michigan. I don't foresee him taking massive strides into be a consistent edge too. That's not something I envisioned from him. Coney Ely is... Again, this is another case if he is what he is. I don't think he's giving you much to be, to write home about. Maybe he's shown up for a couple of games to make a splash play here and there, but he's not really anything. And then Dorrance Armstrong is a project out of Kansas who really regressed in his final season of college. So, I don't know. You know, Randy Gregory, is that a thing? I'm not relying upon that. Interior of the defensive line it has been neglected. It's still neglected. I think their D-line is still a big issue. I think the, uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about the addition of uh, Jihad Ward from from the Raiders, who is a very technically raw dude coming out, but had some tools. Putting him with a with a defensive mind like Marinelli, which is where I thought he needed to go. I thought he needed to have a coach like that when he came out to succeed. Do you remember scouting Jihad Ward at all? I know he was a later round pick, but I did think there was something there that was going to take a while to develop. Don't get me wrong; he's super raw. But I think this is a good situation for him, and considering what's going on with their defensive line, he could he could win some reps there. I agree that Jihad Ward will benefit from Ron Marinelli because Ron Marinelli is a good defensive line coach. I disagree that Jihad Ward might be good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I mean, like he he can be. I, I'll I'll put it to you this way: I'm not saying he's good. I'm saying he's got tools because he he isn't good right now. No, I hear you, I hear. You. And he was so he's a 2016 pick. Uh, so he had, he had two seasons down in the league, and this is coming up on his third season. And obviously, switching coaches, uh, he's probably going to get another buffer season, probably going to get a fourth season to really make the verdict. But mm. when you have these high upside, a- above average athletes, and by year three they're not showing you anything consistent, is it's very unlikely that they they become anything more, right? Yeah. And so, you know, maybe Marinelli is really going to be able to help the young man out. I'm not sure exactly how old he is. I don't have that here on my report on him. And so maybe if he was one of those young rookies, then that's, you know, that's, um he's got a little bit more time to develop. But to me, I look at that Oakland roster, and if you're not able to win some outside reps there, then we've already got a problem. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe, again, 
don't know, hope for the young man that I things get, get that. better with Marinelli, but I, I don't, you know, Ward, Ward's, a, Ward's a tough reclamation case at this point. I Like, moving Switzer for him, I, I kind of get it, I think. I don't I get don't moving know. Switzer. I, I, yeah, I, I like Switzer coming out. I kind of wanted the Eagles to grab him. I, I like Switzer, but I like Cole Beasley, and I already right. knew what Cole Beasley was, so drafting Ryan Switzer didn't make any sense. I would agree with that. And also, happy birthday, Jihad Ward. <laughs> he is turning 24 is today. <laughs> Wait, is on, on the 10th? We're recording this on Thursday. Okay. On the 11th when it releases. <laughs> okay. Happy birthday to you. We're not singing? Okay. <laughs> no, we're well, not doing Jihad that. Ward, you made it on BGN Radio by some like unimaginable lining of the stars on your birthday. Shout out to you. Uh, enjoy it, man. Live it up in Dallas. Fort Worth area is really nice. Have a good one. I love birthdays, Mike. That checks out with your personality, Ben. All right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Real quick, uh, you buying or selling the Cowboys taking a significant step forward next year? They're going to be better than they were next year. They're going to be more competitive than they were next year. I don't envision this team being a consistent playoff relative team, especially in a conference this thick, for as long as they have the head coach that they do. Mm. All right. And that's that, you know, talented, maybe. Still got the same old gaps. Still going to be able to, to exploit them in the same old ways. And I don't think that Jason Garrett has ever changed anything about his entire life. So here we are. I'm clapping for you right now. Uh, in honor of Jason Garrett, I, I would agree with that. I think they take a slight step forward in the in the secondary with some of those young players. We'll we'll see how the rest pans out. Ben, shout out of the cannon. What's their record? Where did they place in the NFC East? Eight and eight. Can I say eight and eight just to be mean? Yeah. Uh, and I would say that they're quite easily going to be the second team in the NFC East. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, nine and seven again. I'll go with nine and seven and second in the in the NFC East. I don't see any of these other teams. We're gonna be talking about. The Giants and the Redskins right. on future shows and why I'm they're interesting, not right? Because the Redskins, I want to say, like, oh, maybe because the Redskins have always been like a frisky team that'll like show up and like be good for like four games of the year, and you never know. Ben is like doing this thing with his head where he's going back and forth. It's <laughs> well, yeah, no, the Redskins. You know what I mean? Like every every time we would sit down to play the Redskins, I would always be thinking to myself, man, like they might just go off for 38 because this is the week that they do. You know, they there's they so would high variance. Some, Right, but that was under Cousins, and I don't think they're going to be that way under Smith. Right. And I don't think they're going to be as good because they lost a lot of talent. And I don't even think her Cousins is that talented. And I also yeah. like Alex Smith, but I still just don't think they're going to be as good. <laughs> um, but maybe they're, they're a thing, I don't know, maybe the friskiness stays sans Cousins, and the Giants are going to suck, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, the Redskins are going to have to win games like 13-10 to 10 and just run the rock and shorten the game as much as possible, in my eyes, in my eyes. All right, Ben. We'll talk about it, man. That, that's right. Which, which team do we have on, on deck next? Do you want to make it the Redskins? I think it's the Giants on the schedule that we made, but we can make it the Redskins because we kind of, like, you know, warmed them up. I like that. We've already lubricated the uh, gentle listeners. You just listeners. wanted to use lubricate. You, you wanted to hit a lubricate reference in the pod, so you brought that in. I've been trying for so many episodes. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle lubricated listeners. What's up, gentle <laughs> listeners? Thank you, as always, uh, for listening to the Kist and Solak show. We hope you make it an enjoyable time for you guys. Yeah, the, the plan kind of rolling in through rookie minicamp is obviously to respond to things as they arise, like uh, the Matt Jones news and the discussion around the running back room in Philadelphia, but also to really start creating these nice little uh, preview pods for some of the key teams in the NFC so that we can get a better idea of what we're going to be facing as we go down 
the gamut. Of course, we'll start with the NFC East, but then incorporate the, the heavy hitters of the NFC who we're likely to see at some point. You know, the Vikings and the, the Falcons are already on the uh, on the raw on the schedule excuse me the saints and the the packers i don't think rams, we're gonna call san yeah. francisco yeah rams not san francisco yet i'm not willing to do that yet but we'll talk <laughs> about some of the big teams in the nfc so make sure you're sticking around for that and of course just listening to all the bgn radio shows we greatly appreciate you tuning in thank you so much for stopping by we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly fly